All right, Ephesians chapter 6, we'll start in. And uh, find. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to use this kind of as an introduction, and we're going to circle back to this passage in a little while, and uh, look at some thoughts on salvation, and uh, but how to apply it, and be a help to us. Ephesians chapter 6, as uh, used different ways, not right or wrong. It's 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 uh, the passage talks about the armor of God, and we put it on. and And what I mean different ways is is that God protecting us, or that we need to obey God, or or salvation. There are different applications. I, I guess would be the more appropriate uh, way to look at that. But uh, in Ephesians chapter six, what we have here is I'm going to start reading in verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand an evil day, having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And uh, so I'm going to stop there briefly. Notice a couple things is their spiritual. Now, this is written to Christians. This is written to a church. So this is about how, as a child of God, how to prepare ourselves to serve God and take on when Satan tries to stop us. Um, that is what's going on. Notice it mentions about wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of spiritual wickedness in high places. So this is about Satan trying to stop us or attack us. This is not us about us fighting Satan. That is not our fight. Um, this is about being able to take a stand and, and stand. Notice several times, verse 11, it mentions stand. And uh, verse uh, 13, uh, withstand and stand. And verse 14, stand. And uh, so that's the idea here. But we preach on that in the past. I just want to use that a little bit of an introduction. But notice in verse 15, it says, and your feet shod, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That is about salvation. So, so we're preparing to be able to take the gospel, and then also in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, so a couple elements here. Notice it refers to the gospel two times in this element of the armor. 
And we're supposed to take on this armor to prepare ourselves for the battle. I mean, it mentions the, the, the armor of God. It says the sand. It talks about that we have a breastplate of righteousness doing right. We got the shield and, and we got all these parts. But in this idea of the armor, it mentions God, the gospel two different times. And uh, so that's what I want to use here. We're going to circle back to that thought in a little while. If you go to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now remember, 1 Corinthians is written to the church in Corinth. This is the first letter to this church. This church had a lot of problems, and they were allowing sin into the church, and Paul is addressing now those issues here. But this is written to a group of saved people. This is written to a church. This is how, how, to, how to act and live. Yes, we can take verses about salvation and show someone how to be saved, and that is appropriate, and we need to do that. Um, but they, they understand the context here of what it is we're looking at. <clears throat> And 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And I'll pause there just briefly. If you go throughout the New Testament, you will find the phrase, the kingdom of God, there's a kingdom of heaven, there's different kingdoms mentioned. Usually when it refers to the kingdom of God in the New Testament, it is referring to the living for God, living in the realm of God, living in your, in your spiritual life. Where the references in the New Testament in the, as the kingdom of God is not talking about salvation. So this is talking about you want to inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, there's a whole lots of study, different studies you can do on our blessings and having prayers answered, things like that. If we're not living right with God, we don't have God's blessing and we don't have peace in our life. And uh, so that's what it's referring to, that to know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Man, that's a whole big list of things that people can do wrong that the Bible calls sin. Um, that's a lot of things wrong, and remember this is written to a church, but what, what Paul's reminding them of, and, and we'll get to the flesh part in a minute and people living wrong and not being saved, we're, we're going to get there. Uh, I just want to explain this passage. Um, he's, he's, he's laying out this list of things that people can do wrong and live wrong and reminding them of where they came from. And verse 11 explains that, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Who's saying, hey, you used to be like that. Um, you used to be, and later in a, in a, past, a couple passages, um, we're going we're gonna to look at the next few verses in a moment. And Paul explains, um, this is not dealing with salvation here, but he's also at the same time reminding them, hey, this is where you come from. 
And, and, and I'll explain that more in a moment. We keep reading here in verse 12. Now, he just said, you used to be that way. You used to um, be, but you've been washed. You've been saved. You, in other words, you've been saved. Uh, verse 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And uh, so he explained to give some explanations of how people eat, how people do different things. What Paul's saying is we have liberty in Christ. This is not an excuse. We're going to address in a moment. This is not an excuse as a safe person that I can live however I want. That's not what he's saying. Uh, what he's saying is, is understand uh, on what is our attitude with God and what is controlling our life. So that we're saved, notice he gave a whole list. He said, some of you were like that. Now he says, hey, I can do what I want, and it's all things are lawful for me. Let's skip down to verse 19 of the same chapter. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He's saying here, he said, you used to be this way. All these wicked things that we look at mankind and say you can do and people living wrong and people living in sin. He said, um, such were some of you, and uh, but you were washed. And then he goes on to say, hey, all things are lawful for me. Um, I, I, can kind, I could do things, but hey, we, we don't want to be under control of sin. And then he goes down and explains, because I'm saved, I belong to God. I need to watch how I live, and I need to live right, and live righteous, and live holy according to the word of God. Because of my salvation, I am owned by God. This is not my body, it belongs to God. And uh, so we need to have that, even though we have what we call liberty. And Paul addresses that throughout all, the, all his writing that we have these things that we call liberty in Christ, that does not mean I live how I want. That means I need to do more for God. That means I need to, on my own decision, understand that my body does not belong to me. And one of the things about dealing with salvation that many people get wrong doctrinally is understanding the difference between my soul and my flesh. And, and that uh, I need now my flesh and how I live on the outside should reflect what's in my heart. I mean, somebody's living wicked, and, and, and maybe they did get saved, and, and maybe they are on their way to heaven, but they're living like the world, and they're living wicked, and, and, and they are living however they want to live. That doesn't mean they're not saved, but they're certainly going to miss out on the things of God. They're going to miss out on blessings. Um, they're going to have a miserable life, and nobody can tell they're saved, so they're not going to be able to give the gospel to anybody. And and uh, there's all kinds of things. Our, our body, our flesh, our outward presence needs to um, reflect what happened in our heart, in our soul. Well, we have to understand that difference, but when it comes to salvation, we need to understand there's some things. So I'm going to look at some verses about salvation, circle back into a practical um, example, if you will, on pulling it back to apply to how we live day to day. Turn to John chapter 3. 
we have the passage here, um, familiar verses. This is where Nicodemus came to talk to Jesus. And as that Pharisee came, and Jesus is explaining salvation to Nicodemus. Um, it's interesting that this is a, a great example of Jesus himself giving the gospel to a, to a person asking. But, but it's interesting, um, the, the conversation here. But let's go down to verse 16, um, or verse 15, we'll, we'll start it. John 3 and verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then we go into some of the verses that uh, in Romans that are familiar, we're not going to turn to all of them, that are familiar passages when dealing with salvation. Uh, of course, Romans 3, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, Romans 6.23, where it says, for the wages of sin is death, uh, referring to hell. That's our soul. That's our eternity. Our eternity is at stake if we don't trust Christ. But then that passage goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, because Jesus died on the cross, um, we can have salvation if we'll accept that gift. That comes a similar idea as John 3.16 and Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And uh, when he died in our place, he gave that. And in Romans 10.9, that if, if, uh, that if we confess, um, we, can, we can be saved and uh, accept Christ and uh, take that on. That's important, understanding those steps, because there's so many of these verses that people pull out of the Bible and think that my flesh determines my salvation. Um, and, and you get that wrong. That's called work salvation. That's against the Word of God. Um, my flesh should definitely show that I'm saved. How I live, people should look at my life and be able to tell I'm a child of God. But, but my flesh does not determine my salvation. Let's look at a couple examples. Um, one is Luke 23. Luke chapter 23. This is, of course, where Jesus is on the cross. And, and uh, we know that Jesus did no sin. But uh, as he's on the cross, something happened. Remember, he was put on a cross with a couple other uh, criminals and uh, that were charged with something and by their own admission. And uh, so Jesus is on the cross, and there's uh, a, a criminal on each side of Jesus. In Luke 23 and verse 39, um, 23, long page, Luke 23 and verse 39, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost, now, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And uh, so, so this one guy on the cross was making fun of Jesus. Now, if you're really Jesus, you can get us down. And uh, 
so selfish and, and controlling. Sometimes people do wrong and it becomes all about them trying to protect themselves. But uh, the other one said, hey, we deserve to be here, but uh, Jesus, if you just remember me, I, I, I believe in who you are. So Jesus understood his heart and, and he trusted Christ. He didn't change. He didn't have time to change. He couldn't change his actions. He was a criminal. He was put to death. He was dying on the cross in the process of being executed for his crimes. And, and at that moment, he couldn't change his flesh. He couldn't change how he lived. He couldn't change his actions. But he just looked at Jesus and believed on who Jesus was. And uh, that day was saved. The Galatians chapter 3 Galatians chapter 3, and remember Galatians, of course, written to the church in Galatia, and uh, the whole book of Galatians dealing with what works salvation and clarifying salvation and uh, how it works, that it's not our flesh and it's not what we do, it's not an action, it's just believing in Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6 it says, even as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Same chapter, um, down in verse 14, <clears throat> that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And uh, so, a couple of things here showing that that Abraham they they understood that it was believing God and believing what God said in order to receive salvation. This was not about his physical actions; it was about believing in his heart and accepting and believing what God said that God would keep His promise. And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Second Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17, it's a familiar verse, one that many people try to use to try to justify work salvation, but it's not at all what it says. In uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And, uh, and then it explains a little bit in the next verse, in verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And uh, so, he's pulling, because of salvation, we're a new creature. That starts on the inside. That's the part of us that goes to heaven. That's our soul. Because I'm saved, I should live right. I should live in a way that people can look at my life and understand that I am saved. Um, but... It's not my flesh that saved me. There's nothing I can do in this world. There's nothing I can do in the flesh to gain salvation. And uh, our spiritual life, is, or our soul, is a part of us that gets saved. But because I'm saved, what's going on in my soul is the part that should influence my flesh. In other words, my flesh, I should live right. 
I should do right. I should obey the word of God. I should be close to God. I should, I should trust God in my flesh, but that's not salvation. That just happens because I am saved. And uh, back to Galatians in chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. And verse 20, Paul said to help clarify this, remember Galatians was dealing with work salvation and clarifying some things, and, and uh, as, he, as he said, Paul is clarifying, it's not about my soul, this is not salvation, my salvation is in my soul, but in Galatians 2.20, Paul makes a statement, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And uh, so, and then he clarifies that liberty again in verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And if you go back and read all, before that in the chapter, he's explaining some of the difference and how we got salvation. Explain it. So what he says here, he said, talking about my flesh, he said, I'm crucified with Christ. He says, I need to get rid of myself and put Christ first who is in me. Um, I now live in the flesh. He said, this is the life I live in the flesh. So the part of me that you see, the part of me that's in this world, the part of me that's in this body says, I live by the faith of the Son of God. In other words, I'm because I'm saved, I need to pay attention to my flesh. My flesh cannot save me, but because I'm saved, I do need to live right. And then he clarifies it in verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. In other words, God gives us grace. It's by grace are ye saved through faith. So my salvation came because of God's grace. So if I look at that grace of God and say I'm saved, and because of the word of God, I know whatever happens in my life, I cannot lose my salvation. Because I'm saved, because I'm a child of God, I know I'm going to heaven. Nothing can change that. That doesn't mean that I can live how I want. The Paul used the term here, frustrate the grace of God. In other words, God hates sin, especially in his children. And I'm not to push the limits of grace. I'm not supposed to use grace as an excuse for what I do. I'm not supposed to use grace as 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 a, as a escape. So well, I'm saved, so I can do whatever. That's not that's not what he said. He said, "Don't do that. We need to live right." And understand that I'm, I'm a representation of salvation and what God did for me. Let's go over the same book, page or two over, depending on um, your Bible. Uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians um, chapter 5. I know we were there a minute ago, but this idea of that dealing with our flesh is a different thought. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24 and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Uh, so he's saying, I, because I'm saved, 
I need to get a handle on my flesh. My flesh cannot save me, but because I'm saved, I need to be able to get a handle on my flesh and get rid of myself and live by, by faith and live to trust God and obey God in my life. Let's circle back. <clears throat> circle back to 1 Corinthians. The first couple passages we read when we in, in, in introduction, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And as we wind down, verse 9. As we saw, know ye not that the, the, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Um, and then he gives a list of all these things wrong and all these sins. And then he says in verse 11, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now if you go back and study and read the whole book and study 1 Corinthians, you'll find this church was dealing with a lot of issues. They had some things they were allowing in the church. They were allowing sin into the church. Um, they were allowing people in the church to live wicked. Um, it wasn't that they weren't unsaved. It was just that they were allowing sin. Paul's reminding them, hey, hey you've been washed. Um, you've been clean. You used to be like that. Now, <clears throat> so he's trying to get their attention on the things of God. Verse 19 again, What know ye not that your body is a temple is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God. If we understand that we belong to God, let's turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. If we understand what one one reason, um, <clears throat> David made a comment once with praying to God um, as king. He said, "Ask God to restore unto me the joy of my salvation." One of the reasons that Christians and saved children of God struggle with this idea of "Am I saved? Work salvation? All this stuff." One of the reasons is we live in a world that's so chaotic that people don't understand peace. And if we can get this idea of the gospel right and apply it in our life and, and get our relationship right with God, one of the things we find here in John 14 and verse 27, Jesus is telling the disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Notice that phrase. First of all, Jesus saying, I'm give, I'll give you my peace. That's a big deal. We have the same peace that Jesus has because of our relationship with Christ. <coughs> but notice, it says, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. So the world represents the flesh or what's going on in the world. We can't get peace from the world. In other words, one is the direction of the world. The world tries to pretend they got peace. Oh, this will make you happy. This will help you. Go to this counselor. Go to this person. Try to figure out. We can't find peace in the world. But that also implies, if I'm searching in the world, that it's our flesh trying to find the peace. Um, we can't get peace that way. We have to do it 
God's way. He said, uh, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus addresses the heart. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. Then the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So notice the phrase here. First of all, it says it's a peace that passeth all understanding. In other words, I can't understand it enough to even explain it to you. It's a pe The peace of God can fill my life so much that I can't even describe how this peace works. I, I can't explain it to you. But notice also, he said, in the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. So there's, there's, a, there's a part of us that's connected with the Spirit that when I'm saved, and, and we use the phrase, and it is a Bible term that talks about Jesus being in a heart, dealing with a heart, deals much with the heart throughout the Bible. And, as, and then our minds. So if we can get the peace of God dealt with properly in my heart, and then God will also keep my mind that we can give, have the power of God because of that peace to be able to deal with my flesh, I can live right for God. Let's back up to Ephesians chapter 6 again as we wind down the passage we started with. Um, as we understand, so we understand this journey here uh, of, of taking a stand in the sense of looking at our salvation, the courage I have to stand for right, and the courage I have to stand for truth and, and righteousness and living holy and, and doing right and doing the right thing starts with the gospel. Ephesians chapter 6 again. Of course, we know, talking about the armor of God, but down in verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then down in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. There's no coincidence that it's the salvation is described here as a helmet. And uh, you can do a lot. You know, a person in battle, if you get attacked, describing an armor here uh, as a soldier, uh, a soldier can take a lot. And there's a lot of pain and things mentally you can work through and, and get through even though I'm injured. But man, a, a head injury will mess you up. A head injury will slow you down. And, uh, but it starts with, with the gospel. And it starts with the, the idea that I'm saved. So I now have the power of God and the Holy Spirit living in me that I can take on this world and live right, and I can get control of my flesh so I can have a right relationship with God. And uh, so notice the rest of this passage as Paul is explaining this about the armor of God and the reason for it and taking on and and because uh, we live right because it's a principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. And uh, we see that. There's twofold there. I, I believe this. First of all, this is a literal spiritual warfare. That's why this armor is not about me fighting. This armor is not about my fight. 
This armor is about, hey, just know it exists. The armor will protect you. One example of it is when you go back into Daniel, and Daniel prayed to God for an answer, and the answer was delayed. And when the angel came to Daniel with his message from God, told Daniel that he was delayed by, by, the, by the Satan, by the demons trying to stop him <coughs> from getting that message to Daniel. So that's a, a literal spiritual warfare that can affect us. For example, da Daniel had to wait on that answer. There's things in that realm, if you will, that spiritual, um, that, that, uh, spiritual warfare that can affect us, but it's not necessarily my fight. That's God's fight. But God gave us the armor so that we can have protection when it does come against us. But notice the other purpose of it as we read through the list and see the armor and the verse 17 and the helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then it says, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth, mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And he elaborates on that, on his witness, but Paul said, hey, yeah, take on the armor of God, oh, along with your armor, take on, hey, you need to pray, and specifically, if you would, pray for me as I have boldness to go give the gospel. And uh, so there's a purpose, it all circles back to the gospel, so, so two, a um, couple questions. One is, is the gospel in me? Am I saved? Do I have the gospel? Got that settled. Now that I got that settled, now I circle back. My Christian life should reflect the fact that I'm saved and have the gospel in me. And then the next step is giving the gospel to others and praying for those who are giving the gospel to others. And uh, our whole Christian life circles back to the gospel the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we may have eternal life and have peace while we live here on this earth. Let's stand together as we close in a prayer and invitation. And uh, what are we doing with the gospel? First of all, have it. Do you have it settled? And uh, here we have an invitation. Come, we can show you. If you're listening to this by recording, if you'll contact me and need help and want more information, I'd be glad to talk to you. But, but uh, the gospel is uh, in us. Are we sharing the gospel and are we praying for those who are sharing the gospel? Father, I thank you for this day, and God, I thank you once again that we can come together as a, as a, as a church body and, and, uh, and, and, and hear from your word. And God, I pray that you'll help us. 
God, this week as we go to serve you, and God, that that as we go share the gospel, God, that first of all, that we'll live the gospel, second, that we share the gospel, and God, that we'll pray for those who are also sharing the gospel. God, I pray that you'll help us, that uh, we'll look to you for our needs this week. God, we'll look to you for our peace this week. God, we'll, we'll, we'll keep our flesh in check. Um, for the sake of the gospel. God, I pray that you'll help us. God, give us courage. And Paul asked for boldness as we go serve you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.